Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today I am joined by someone who I have followed for a very long time, and I know this name will not be new to so many of you. Dr. Stephen Cabral, welcome to the show. It's so good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Cabral, could you please tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'll give you the extremely edited version. So I'm a board-certified doctor of naturopathy, but uh, it was a long uh, road making in order to get to that specific role of what I do today. So what I do today, though, is help people through at-home lab testing that goes well beyond blood work to figure out truly what are the underlying root causes of their disease or imbalances in their body. And we've worked with now over a quarter of a million people all around the world. But the way that I got to that was actually as a very sick individual from ages 17 years old to 27 years old, I saw well over 100 different practitioners. I spent way too much money uh, going to all these different practitioners using all different protocols. Finally, I met my mentor, Dr. Pete, around 27 years old. She put together amazingly the beauty of functional medicine testing with Ayurvedic medicine or Ayurvedic, uh, I should say like the 6,000 year old Ayurveda, learning your constitution, and then combining that with genetics. And within six months of meeting her, I was completely better. and, And that was it for me. I went back to school, got my degree, and here we are today. That is amazing. And I I like to talk about people's skills and expertise and interests as their unique stack. And my word, you have a unique stack. Well, it's been through a lot, you know, Addison's disease and rheumatoid arthritis and type two diabetes and POTS and all these things you're supposed to never recover from. That's what I was told that I would never get better. Um, Yet here I am today, more than 20 years later, and I don't have any of diseases, no diagnosed diseases whatsoever. And So that's what I try to share is just a message of hope and healing that no matter how bad it is that you think you have, um, someone's been there before and there is a road to get well. Well, I want to talk to you about several key themes today, and I don't even care if it's a messy segue between them, but I want to talk about some of the at-home testing that you're doing right now. I want to talk about inflammation, and I really want to dive deep into the thyroid. If we can do all three of those things today, I want to let people know what they're in for, Dr. Cabral. But the very first thing that I just want to applaud you for is making at-home testing so, so accessible. And we needn't talk about the state of healthcare in the United States of America. America. We will not do that. But you have created such accessibility for folks to test any number of things. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What's behind that? And then what happens after someone takes one of these at-home tests? Like, what? Where does it go? Yeah, absolutely. That is good to demystify it because typically, and all I thought from 17 to 19 years old, all I saw were conventional medicine doctors. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, conventional medicine doctors like your primary care or specialists are brilliant people. But they only do one thing, and that's run blood work. And if your blood work isn't off, like mine wasn't off except for my white blood cells, and so they thought I had cancer or something like that, the truth is they don't necessarily know where to look next. They don't do a lot of gut testing, although it's becoming a little bit more popular. They're not really doing in-depth hormone testing. They're not looking at inflammation levels uh, besides CRP and a few other things. So what we do is we provide people with a way to go deeper on their health. So a lot of people have mystery-based illnesses like I had until it's actually diagnosed. And so you have 
migraines and low mood and low libido and low energy and brain fog and like all these issues, but you can't pinpoint what it is. So what we look at are actually two main things. We look at your deficiencies. Those could be vitamins or minerals, or they could be amino acids. They could be neurotransmitters. It could be anything, you know, that makes your body tick and that like wakes you up and give you that vibrancy. Then we start to lose those as we get older, poor absorption, poor food choices, these types of things. But then there's also toxicities. And that's never talked about with conventional medicine. This is things like heavy metals, pesticides, herbicides, um, all sorts of different plastics in the environment that raises estrogen levels. So this is what we look for. And we use simple samples such as saliva or a little blood spot, uh, which is just a finger stick that you would do for like taking your glucose levels. What happens is we sign off. So we have a doctor in all 50 states in the United States, and we also ship overseas as well. So we sign off in your lab for you. It gets mailed to you. You receive it. You take your lab. You mail it back. It goes to a third party. So CLIA certified lab. So these are all HIPAA compliant. You know, this is not being sold to uh, major pharmaceutical companies or anything like that. And then the results stay with that company and us. So what we do is we deliver your results online so you can see your results and you can even get a call with one of our health coaches to be able to explain them to you. But best of all is that you get a plan associated with that. There's a lot of at-home lab testing companies now, but they don't provide you with a protocol and plan to help you actually rebalance, which is the whole point of running the labs in the first place. The, the data is great, but what you do with the data is even more important. Well, this is one of the top five questions that I get asked on this show. We, we cover a lot of different topics on the show, Dr. Cabral, but when we talk about wellness and anything related specifically to health conditions, one of the most frequent questions that I get is, yeah, but who do I go see? Because I go see my allopathic physician and he or she says I'm fine because I'm in the quote normal range. That's one of my least favorite phrases is normal range. <laughs> because first of all, Who's normal? Who gets to decide that? Um, and also, I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be average compared to the population of the country that I live in. I want to be top 2%. And I know a lot of my listeners do too. So the numbers in traditional medicine, the ranges that are considered acceptable vary quite widely in some cases, wouldn't you say, than they do in more naturopathic or functional medicine? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the best example is vitamin D range for 25 hydroxy vitamin D is between 30 and 100. That's the range. And so when we look at that, we say, okay, this individual is a 31. And so that means that they're perfectly normal, which we know that isn't the case at all, right? They're only one point away from being out of range, where the optimal range is closer to 50 to 70, maybe even 50 to 80. And so when you look at that, you say, yeah, a person's 31, their doctor says they're fine, but they're anything but that. I mean, they just don't have a disease state, something like, you know, rickets, where, where we start to get bone malformation. But yeah, that, that's why we have to be really careful with, um, it's, a, it's a good line, you know, my doctor says I'm fine, so why do I feel so bad? Um, that, that's where I was for two years and started until I started seeing natural health-based practitioners and they started to run these labs. I mean, that's how I got into this. I was 19 years old. I saw an amazing doctor that was actually trained in Europe. And even though they were a medical doctor, they were trained over in Europe and they started, they were doing a lot of functional medicine tests. This is back in like the late nineties. And so when I did that, I realized that I wasn't producing any cortisol and it was a test that my doctor never ran. Again, this is back in the nineties. Um, and then when I had that, I actually said to my doctor, I said, listen, I'm not producing any cortisol. And they looked at me like, that's really strange. They ran an ACTH stim test, which is what conventional medicine does. And lo and behold, I failed that and ended up with primary Addison's disease as a diagnosis. But you know, natural health is what allowed for me to even figure out in the first place what was wrong. You offer dozens of tests. Which are your most popular? 
Yeah, so we have something called the Big Five Labs. Those are the main labs that any individual who can should run on a yearly basis. And it goes over your mineral levels, your vitamin levels. It looks at um, heavy metals. It looks at your energy levels. And then it starts to look at your gut levels as well. So it looks at yeast overgrowth, bacteria. Um, it looks at food sensitivities. And then it's also going to look at your inflammation levels. So those are five labs that every human should run if possible. Um, that's the ideal, but we, we have over 40 different labs, but those are all subspecialties. Like you could run just your testosterone, just your estrogen, just your TSH for thyroid, which I know we're going to be talking about, or, and sorry, the big five also includes all your hormones, which is so important. It looks at, okay. um, estrogen and progesterone, which need to be looked at together, testosterone and DHEA, cortisol, T4, T3, TSH, TPO antibodies, vitamin D, insulin, and hemoglobin A1C. That's just one of the labs in the big five called the stress mood metabolism. It's the best lab to run for anything hormonal related. The reason why when you go to your doctor and you run just your TSH, it can look normal, but you have no idea what your T3, which is your activated thyroid, what that looks like. And if it's off, well, you don't know why it's off because you didn't run any of your vitamin levels, your mineral levels, your cortisol levels, all the things that could affect it, or even vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, conventional medicine works in a vacuum. They, they work with like one specialist doing one thing where we lose touch of the body works holistically. I can't separate my heart from my brain. You know, I'm pumping blood through my heart, which eventually makes it to my brain. But again, the same thing that affects you for heart disease or metabolic syndrome, like high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, it affects your brain as well. So it's not like we can cure Alzheimer's by working on just the brain you know, alone. So what I try to share with people is that everything is connected. You can't look at things independently. And what heals one thing basically heals the entire body. That's the amazing thing about natural health. I want to be super clear that this is not like a commercial for these at-home tests. This is something people keep asking me about regularly. And so I really want them to know that this exists. You were kind enough to send me um, a test for inflammation. And I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what that's really testing. So I want to know about that. I just had to, of all the sample collecting methods that you mentioned, I think I just did a little finger prick, which was super easy. And then I just sent it off in the mail. And then I get my results via, you know, online. What was I actually measuring, Dr. Cabral? Yeah. So one thing I do want to say too, is we offer these labs, but you can visit a local naturopathic doctor. You can go to integrativehealthpractitioner.org and work with a level two practitioner there that are not affiliated with us. We just want to, the, the whole goal is to open source your health, to open source at-home lab testing, which has never been done before, at least worldwide. And so that's, that's really obviously the goal and the mission. What you tested was one of our most popular, it's called the inflammation test. It looks at your omega-6 levels to your omega-3 levels. So a lot of people are hearing about omega-6s and how they're bad. They're oxidative. They create free radicals in the body. They create aging spots on the skin. They can create and lead to dementia, Alzheimer's, heart disease, all these different issues. And while all that's true, one of the things that balances that inflammation are omega-3. And omega-3s are same fatty acids, just a different molecular structure. And what they do is they cut down on inflammation. So it's something called prostaglandins, eocosinoids. We don't have to get into all of that today. But that omega-6s lead to brain fog and joint pain and uh, muscle stiffness and then a lot of the diseases that you know we know about. So what we look at is how many omega-6s as a ratio you have in your body versus omega-3s and people get a score. And if you're under five, 
you're doing great. So if you have a five to one ratio or less, that's basically five for omega sixes and one for omega three. So it's basically a five to one. Now, ideally though, we want you at a three to one, three omega sixes for every omega three. And that's really what we find more in nature. And in the research, that can lead to 90% risk reduction rate in heart disease, which is the number one killer in the entire world. And so when we look at that, we say, that's at least one thing that we can get right, that if we do that, we cut down so much on all-cause mortality. So that's what we look for. Inflammation is a term that I did not hear in the zeitgeist, I don't know, say 15 years ago. Um, And now, of course, we hear it and have done for years and years and years. But it is such a fat, broad term. And I think it's often misunderstood because you definitely want some inflammation in your body, right? That's actually how you heal from things. But it's that seesaw, right? It's when we tip past the point of beneficial inflammation that it starts to create, as you say, disease. Can you give us a little inflammation 101? Because I think we think we know what it means, but we might not. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're right on. So think about it. When you, uh, let's say that you get, the easiest way to think about it is um, you get a bee sting. And when you get a bee sting, you get a little swelling around where you get stung. Well, what's going on there is there was a little bit of venom or whatever it might be from the bee that actually was injected into the body. Your body now says, what is this? This is far into the body. It's going to move to attack and clear that area. Another example is a workout. When we work out with strength training, we actually want to create a little bit of tissue damage. And that tissue damage enables us to rebuild those muscles stronger. During the tissue damage, what has to happen is a cleanup. So again, certain white blood cells go to the area. They clean up the debris that was broken down from the tissue itself, move that out of the body while the repair process is taking place. All of that, there's inflammation there. Where there is white blood cells and immune system function working, it creates inflammation. Too much inflammation causes greater tissue destruction and um, narrowing of the arteries and a lot of potential issues with the body. So the reason why, well, let's put it this way. Inflammation is said to be a source of 90 plus percent of all disease. And I actually don't know of a disease that doesn't have inflammation. So it's interesting what that other 10% may be. Uh, But I'll say this, inflammation is almost never a root cause of any disease. It's, It's predicated as part of it. But you can't just take NSAIDs, Advil, right, or ibuprofen all day long. It's not good for the kidneys. It's not good for uh, lowering inflammation, just like you shouldn't take turmeric all day long just to lower inflammation. The goal is to say, why do I have high levels of inflammation? Could be gut issues, heavy metals, Lyme, et cetera. Like there's a lot of issues, mold. Um, But the omega-6s to omega-3s is different. That's why we test inflammation this way. Because you have too much, if you have too many of omega-6s, it's only coming from one thing, and that's your food. And so if we know that, then great, we can begin to change the diet or add some uh, cold process, triglyceride bound, very specific type of omega-3 supplements to your diet to help supplement your food intake as well. That then will balance healthy levels of omega-6s to omega-3s, which is only one cause of inflammation. So we're really trying to help the food-based inflammatory response rather than whatever else, heavy metals. Okay, yeah, we'll remove the heavy metals, but that's totally different. Okay. Well, if you don't mind me sharing my pseudoscience anecdata, <laughs> please do. This is not something that I gave any thought to when I was in my 20s. And now here we are, just a couple of years later. And, you know, if I eat something that well, I'm a 
pretty clean eater and plant-based. And at the same time, if I eat something that has a bunch of, um, you know, trash oils in it. So say I mm-hmm. eat at a restaurant. The next day, my knuckles feel a bit janky or my hands feel just a tiny bit swollen. I sound like I'm a hundred years old <laughs> sharing this with you. But is that not an inflammatory response to what I just ate? It absolutely is. And the the interesting thing is you just, so everybody has their Achilles heel or their weak spot, right? So when inflammation shows up, for some people, it's migraines. For others, it's skin rashes. For someone like yourself, it might be swelling in the joints. And so we each have that. And that's why we just have to know that it doesn't affect, inflammation affects us in our own genetic way. But that doesn't mean it's our genetics that are causing these issues. It means, okay, that's where we're predisposed but it's the environment that's causing that, right? It's the soil, it's the terrain. And we've done that by having, just like you said, those hydrogenated seed oils or vegetable oils that we shouldn't necessarily be taking in unless it's an olive oil or avocado oil or something that's a more of a monounsaturated fat. Yeah, I want to get on some picket line somewhere because the fact that Whole Foods sells things made with rapeseed oil, more commonly known here as canola oil, makes me insane. But that's a yeah. that's another show. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's all how these things are processed as well. I mean, they're using uh, violent processing tools in order to take something like like you said, rapeseed canola, turn it into an oil. It's highly oxidized. It's highly inflammatory. They can look at it from a molecular standpoint and say, "Oh, well, there's a greater amount of omega threes in canola, so that's why it's going to be good." But it's not because it's processed in a way that is now highly inflammatory. And it's the same thing with like oats and things like that aren't necessarily bad, but when you take them and you process them and you enrich them and they're loaded with glyphosate, then it's a real problem, right? So like, that's the issue. It's like, what are we doing to our food? And and that's a big part of the problem is that things are just overly processed. Well, last question on this. A lot of my podcast family, we've tried all the supplements all the time and then we stop taking them and then we take them and it's like, we've bought all the things. We have cabinets filled with $5,000 worth of supplements. And then we're like, but what do we actually take? And I know intellectually the answer, blood tests, taking tests, figuring out what you're, where the gaps are, what you're low in. But generally speaking, it feels like it's a great idea for most adults to consider taking a high quality vitamin D. Yay or nay for you? Yay. Yes. Okay. I feel the same way about a high quality fish oil. And I take an, I don't know if this is the same thing. Is DHA slash EPA oil always marine based? Is that a fish oil? Almost always exclusively, yes. And that's where we just kind of get into the gray area. So we've done so many inflammation lab tests that I used to use a higher DHA to EPA. But you actually want a two or two and a half to one ratio of EPA to DHA. Because what I found is through all of this lab testing, and that's how we came up with these formulas, because basically we would have you take them and we we know that two capsules a day, two soft gels a day is for what most adults need to be able to get to that three to one ratio. But it has to be a two or two and a half to one ratio of EPA to DHA. And that's because we realized that EPA converts very easily to DHA when the body needs it. But DHA does not convert very easily to EPA. DHA is at the bottom of the conversion chart, and it would have to go backwards to become EPA. It can do that, but it's not as easy. So what we realized is you want some DHA, but you want more EPA, and then you get all the DHA that you need. And that's the impressive thing, again, about functional medicine is you can learn all these things through 
running not just n equals one. That's important, but you know we have we have thousands, uh, probably ten thousand plus omega three tests, and that's how you learn um, how to create specific formulas for the community. Well, and I'm going to say something very cheeky, and I hope I don't offend you in saying this, because I'm not going to ask exactly what EPA are and DHA are, because we don't care. We just want to know what we should be taking. And what you're telling us, Dr. Cabral, is we need to be taking a high quality fish oil or marine based oil or some sort of oil with the correct ratios. And that's really what you're driving home to us. And I'm sure yes. you offer that. <laughs> well, there's, sure. there's one last part because we always say, yes, we offer them, but you can, if you know the reason why, because there's always a reason why, like we would formulate something from a functional medicine standpoint, then you know what to look for. So it has to be cold processed. If not, okay. you're just getting more, think of it like canola oil. Like there's no point in taking that. That's not good for the body if it's um, oxidized, right? So it should be cold processed but it also needs to be triglyceride bound. So when anyone is looking for a fish oil, the body needs to absorb it just like it would get from eating wild salmon. Um, and again, you can get fish oil from wild salmon, trout, wild trout, sardines, mackerel, anchovies. Those are basically the five types of fish that are lower in mercury and high in omega-3s that if you ate them four times a week, you would get enough uh, omega-3s. If not, then it's wise to supplement um, with omega threes. And then I always say too, make sure that the fish oil you'll get, you're getting has been heavy metal tested because even though you can, it can say sardines and anchovies, all those different things in the back, you really do want a sustainable, uh, mercury tested. Cause it's going to be mercury that you have to watch out for. Okay. Well, God forbid, I actually just eat the fish, but let me ask you two <laughs> questions about that. How yes. the heck do we know if it's triglyceride bound and heavy metal tested, is that going to be on the label? Yeah, it should be on the label or might not be on the label, but it'll be on the website of that webpage. And and just again, so the company I formulate for is Equalife, but you can find a good functional medicine brand besides Equalife if you want. So then on the back, you just want to look for about two grams in two soft gels. That's that's basically it. That's There used to be back in the day, like 15 years ago, right? 10, 15 years ago, people recommending like 10 to 20 grams of fish oil a day. That was insane yeah. then. And it's insane now. You don't, you wouldn't eat you know, 10 pounds of fish at a sitting. Like that does not make sense. No culture, long-lived culture ever did that. And the studies don't prove that out either. Two to three grams a day. We go on the lower side with nutritional supplements. We do two grams a day, um, just like vitamin D. 2,000 to 4,000 IUs a day for most adults. That's about 50 to 100 micrograms because they switched the IUs in the US about a year ago from international units down to um, micrograms and milligrams only, just to make it more confusing for us. So vitamin E, vitamin K, vitamin A, and vitamin D, the four fat-soluble vitamins, have now been switched from IUs to micrograms. Okay, just to keep it fun, just to keep it interesting. Okay, can we talk thyroid? Anything you want to go, there's no off limits, so I'm happy to chat. Okay, this is like talking to an encyclopedia. I'm so (laughs) excited. Okay, so I really want to focus on hypothyroidism, but could you please set the table, please, with what is hyper versus hypothyroidism so that people are not confused? Yeah. So hyper is your body's producing more thyroid than it should to be optimal, more thyroid hormone. And we'll get to those hormones in just a moment. Um, And then hypo is you're producing less thyroid hormone than you should. So hypo always means low and hyper always means high. Hyperglycemia, high blood sugar, hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. So you can just kind of use them interchangeably. And um, the way that we know that is that we run a, even if you just look at one marker, like your doctor would do, that's TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. 
So if your TSH comes at 0.5 or less, you have hyperthyroidism. Now, this is where it gets interesting because if you have a TSH of five or above, your PCP would say you have hypothyroidism. However, in natural medicine and functional medicine, if you have a TSH above a two or 2.5, then you have hypothyroidism, functional hypothyroidism, not diagnosed disease, but you're not optimal. So optimal range is 0.5 to two for TSH. So it's radically different. And you get, if you go to a natural health practitioner, they can see this years and years in advance before conventional medicine would ever do anything. And you can fix it then obviously before it becomes Graves' disease, which is hyperthyroidism, or Hashimoto's, which is the um, autoimmune hypothyroidism. Okay. What are some of the common signs of people who are suffering from hypothyroidism? Yeah. And just to kind of keep this in mind, the majority of people, when there's a thyroid issue, it's always low, like almost always. Now, there are some, don't get me wrong, with, with hyper, we definitely see that in our practice, but it's far and few between. I mean, we're talking about less than, well, maybe we're talking about one out of 100 cases. That's, mm-hmm. that's the difference in our practice that we see. So one out of five women will be affected with low thyroid, one out of eight to 10 men. So it's a lot of people well, you know, when we're looking around, and unfortunately, it's happening to the teenagers as well. So the symptoms are uh, lower energy, brain fog, poor circulation, like cold hands, cold feet, dry skin, thinning of the hair, loss of the outer edge of the eyebrow, and weight gain, and even high cholesterol, believe it or not. So you don't have to have all of those. You might have one or two, but those are all symptoms of low thyroid. So I'm going to continue with my medical studies and share another theory with you. (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready to learn. Yes. (laughs) I think a lot of women, particularly actually, really just sort of blames a funny word, attribute this to perimenopause, something we've talked about a lot, the years between like your, your bulk fertility years and then actual menopause. And I think they pin a lot of the symptoms that they're having to perimenopause when a lot of them could possibly maybe theoretically be treated if they had their thyroid looked at. In other words, they might be confusing symptoms they expect to go through as a perimenopausal woman woman with hypothyroidism. 100%. And that's why you have to run the estrogen, progesterone, all those hormones, the stress mood and metabolism test with your thyroid and with T4 and T3. The reason is, is that Estrogen dominance very closely uh, approximates low thyroid symptoms as well. So estrogen dominance doesn't mean you have high estrogen. That's why you can have these, this issue in perimenopause is that, uh, or premenopausal. So it's the lack of progesterone typically with women that leads to estrogen dominance. They have normal estrogen levels, but they have low progesterone. And that's typically from high levels of cortisol and stress and and all sorts of other issues. But the difference with the high estrogen, even though it can um, approximate a lot of those, is it typically leads to adult acne. Um, It can lead to uh, disrupted menstrual cycles. It can lead to more oily skin rather than dry skin uh, and a little bit more bloating. So you kind of have you have to look at both because it can really you know be an issue amongst both. Um, so that's why, again, hormones don't operate in a vacuum. They should be looked at altogether. Okay. Thank you. That is really useful background. So we talked about some of the signs of, but what are the root causes of hypothyroidism? Like what happened? Yeah. So what happens is, so you have a, you have a couple different uh, glands in the brain. So you have your hypothalamus and you have your pituitary gland. 
and they're receiving signals from the body to either produce more thyroid hormone or less thyroid hormone. And so how that comes about is the signal goes from the pituitary gland to your thyroid, right? And so the thyroid gets a hormone or produce a hormone called thyroid stimulating hormone. That means we're going to produce more thyroid, right? The body wants to produce more thyroid. You're going to come up with something called T4. We can get as deep on this as you want, but I'll just give the basis, which I think is what people need. So it goes TSH, T4, and then to T3. So T3 is about 70% of all the active usable hormone in your body. There's a process there though. It has to go from brain signals, right? has to go then to TSH, st thyroid stimulating hormone. That's not it yet. No, no hormone yet. You're just stimulating the hormone. Then to T4, which is the hormone, but the more active version is T3. Now, one of the issues that can happen is because of heavy metals, because of stress, because of inflammation, it can be converted to something called reverse T3. And so reverse T3 is actually unusable thyroid hormone. And so that's why sometimes um, there, there's a mystery as to like why these things are going on in the body. And just to let people know, because this is the most confusing part of how they did thyroid testing, is the higher your TSH, the lower your thyroid production or usable thyroid. And I know that's a little strange, but if your TSH again is above a two, that means that your thyroid is actually producing less thyroid hormone or at least less usable thyroid hormone. Okay. So I'll stop there for a moment and then we can go through how all of that is made if you'd like. Well, what I'm really curious about, to be honest with you, is sort of, so you get there. Let's say that you have hypothyroidism, sluggish thyroid is how I think of it, whether or not that's accurate. And a lot of doctors, including functional medicine doctors, and I'm not condemning this at all, but they will give you a prescription, right, to boost your thyroid production. Again, I don't think I'm using the right words. <laughs> but Well, bo boost is the, your, it's all right, except boost. They're replacing it. They're giving you thyroid okay. instead of you making it yourself. Okay. Yeah. Very good. And again, I'm not condemning that at all. Uh, I'll condemn that though. But oh, I'm so interested. Yes. Okay. Because I know like I went to a functional medicine doc in the state that I used to live in and they were handing that stuff out left and right. The prescriptions for synthetic thyroid. Is that what it is? That's right. Yes. Okay. I don't know if once you have hypothyroidism, can you treat it naturally? I suspect you're about to tell us how. And then also can you fix it? Can you solve for that and then not have to be uh, particularly focused on a resolution? Like you can say, oh, I used to have hypothyroidism. Talk to me. Yeah. Just like I used to have type 2 diabetes. I used to have Addison's disease. I used to have rheumatoid arthritis. So, so I, I used to have those. They're in my genetics. It's not like they're not. They're waiting to come out if I allow them to, if I allow for that expression. So the, I just want to say something about functional medicine. You can't just look up oh, I need to find a functional medicine doctor because the truth is anybody can call themselves a functional medicine doctor. There is no governing body that allows you to say that. There are institutes, there's all that. So we have to be careful. Uh, I believe everybody should have a medical doctor that could be a functional medicine doctor and everybody should have an integrative health practitioner or some type of natural health practitioner. And the reason is, is that if you've gone to medical school, you always have a prescription pad in your back pocket. If you didn't go to medical school because you chose you didn't want to practice that way, not saying it's wrong, we need medication in certain instances, then you have to help someone get to the underlying root cause. If you come to me with low thyroid, we're fixing it. Because I don't have a, I can't replace it. I can technically with glandulars, but I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do, maybe temporarily, um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, okay, you have a mineral deficiency, you have a vitamin deficiency, or you have a toxicity. Okay. Well, what would some of those mineral deficiencies be? 
iodine, selenium, zinc, those are a few. What might your vitamin deficiencies be? Vitamin A, vitamin E, uh, another big one, vitamin B6. Okay. So if we don't have those, we're deficient. We can't actually go through the steps from TSH to T4 to T3. Now, what would some of the toxicities be that block thyroid production? The main one being norepinephrine or adrenaline, and the second one being cortisol. When you have high levels of stress, sympathetic nervous system dominance, fight or flight, you're producing norepinephrine or adrenaline, you're blocking the conversion of TSH to T4. When you have high levels of cortisol, you're blocking the active T3 from taking place, which typically takes place predominantly in the liver, or you're causing it to become reverse T3. So those are a lot of the main, there's vitamin D issues, there's other issues as well that help with the synthesis of thyroid hormone. But we have to understand is, you know, we just went over about eight to nine different reasons why someone may have low thyroid. And so if we look at that and we do process of elimination, either with lab testing or with supplementation, and again, you can do either depending on how you like to proceed, that's up to you. You can go about fixing these particular issues. And so I always like to know why, because I like to teach someone your body is going to go down the same route almost every time in life. And so if you know your predispositions, you know you're someone that just needs a little bit more of X, Y, and Z. Maybe it's zinc, maybe it's B6, because you know you have high levels of stress and you deplete zinc and B vitamins very quickly. Okay, well, that's a good reason. Um, or you're someone that just needs a little bit more iodine because almost no one gets iodine in their diet. Who's eating sea vegetables? Who's eating like, and we tell people not to have table salt, which I agree with, but that's like the main source of iodine in people's diet. And so that's where at-home lab testing obviously comes in. It can tell you exactly what it is, uh, but we like to let people just know why, and then they can kind of go about it from there. Okay. I'm going to link to literally every podcast you've ever done on the Cabral concept on the thyroid in the show notes. So they will be chock full of resources. Um, but one question I want to ask you now is about iodine specifically, because I I have certainly read that iodine is critical for healthy thyroid function, and it's not so common in our diets these days, right? Yes. I take, I have iodine drops and I take two drops every few days. Am I doing that right? Am I doing that wrong? What I understand is too much iodine, very bad. Just enough, very good. Yeah. And it's like that with almost everything. That That's the thing is like, that's exactly right. So we are not a mega dose um, nutritional supplement company. So when I put together the protocol that I use with people, it's diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin removal, rest, emotional balance, scientifically backed supplements, and success mindset. People don't need to memorize that, but supplements is one of eight parts, right? So I don't want to think and say like, hey, supplements is the only thing to do. That's probably not the right idea because you might just be using green medicine to palliate, you know, particular issues, right? And so we kind of look at that. And they're easier. And they're great. I'm not saying that. Like I wouldn't have got well without supplements. So I'm not going to say, well, my digestive system was such a mess. I couldn't absorb all the good nutrients from food. So like, I don't want to downplay it. Yeah, they're amazing. And they, they help people get better faster. And the reason is, is that they move the needle faster. While the lifestyle is setting in over the next three to six months, you can feel better within the next few weeks by just replacing your deficiencies. But what we do is this. We have a product called Daily Thyroid Support, and it has 200, just 200 micrograms of iodine. So not milligrams, micrograms. That's a small amount. And so what that enables you to do is get enough iodine to help with detoxification, normal detoxification, um, and 
being able to create the thyroid molecules, which actually use thyroid, which use iodine. There's one other interesting point to iodine that I did not talk about. This is really important. One of the reasons why men and women have low thyroid is that they unknowingly have high levels of fluoride or bromine or chlorine that they're being exposed to, which displaces iodine in the thyroid. So they're all part of called a, a halogen group. And they have a higher molecular weight than iodine and displace iodine, which is why we need to oftentimes detoxify the body before helium thyroid. A quick question there. So a source of chlorine that a lot of us are exposed to is through our unfiltered water. Um, a source of, what did you say the first one was? Fluoride. A source of fluoride, of course, is maybe in a conventional toothpaste. What are sources of bromine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so tap water is the main source of both fluoride and chlorine in people's body. That's for sure. They're yes. still, I'm sorry, idiotic question. They're still putting fluoride in water? Like 80% of all municipalities, yes. I live in a bubble. Okay, good to know. <laughs> yes. So water filters are for your shower as well. Um, that's another big source of chlorine is that uh, hot water turns to a vapor and it's easier actually to absorb chlorine vapor through your nasal passages and into your lungs and then diffuse that in your blood, um, which is really scary. And then for kids taking baths, again, a bath filter is really good. So shower filter, bath filter, water filter, highly recommend those. And then bromine is from processed flowers, wheat, um, those types of things. For the most part, it'll be added as a sometimes a preservative. Arsenic and rice is the last one that I forgot to mention. Arsenic is also in water as well. Um, not every rice. Again, I, like Lundberg's a good brand. Lotus is a good brand. You can get good brands of everything, right? You can get like glyphosate-free oats that we were talking about earlier. You just have to, to look for them and you'll find them. Yeah, I don't think arsenic-free is on the packaging for rice. How, how, yeah, probably not. how are we finding our rice? Yeah, so the two brands I recommend are Lundberg from California and Lotus, uh, which is another great brand. And they they make black rice and volcanic rice. They make like really hearty, good quality rice if you'd like that. Okay, amazing. Can I get one more question on the table before we run out of time here? You talk a lot about fasting, intermittent fasting, all the rage. A lot of us know enough to be dangerous. I have very mixed feelings and very mixed experiences with this subject. Could you talk about fasting's potential impact on the thyroid? Yeah, absolutely. So whatever is good is always overdone, right? In our Western-based mentality. So Intermittent fasting, great for 99 plus percent of the population. Who's it not good for? People with hypoglycemia. Basically, they drop into low blood sugar and they have a reactive um, cortisol-based spike and that increases then the breakdown of glycogen from the liver and it puts more glucose into the bloodstream. Okay, so, but that's, the, okay, that was me. Like that was a rare case. Like I had Addison's disease and, and so that was an issue. But for most people, 12 hours to 16 hours maximum is the sweet spot. So when people saw the studies, which it seems again, there's this is a whole I've done I've done hour many hour long lectures on on fasting because the truth is this people are skipping breakfast they shouldn't be skipping breakfast like that that's the bottom line humans are meant to have a lighter dinner or maybe even skip dinner but like the truth is that we're not meant to eat past dark hours and that's meant for downtime our body's cooling down calming down we're meant to get into sleep mode the parasympathetic nervous system. We don't want to be using our energy for digestion. So in an ideal world, again, we've done this now for about 25 years. 
Stop eating around 6 p.m. if possible. Start eating again between 8 to 10 in the morning. And that's 14 to 16 hours. That's going to work great for most people. What happens when you're too stressed in the morning? You don't eat and you keep pushing the envelope. What happens is, and unfortunately, this happens to women far more than men, probably 10x or more the amount. And that is because their bodies are meant to carry on life. Men's are not. And so when we look at that, we say women's hormones are more sensitive to stress. Why would they be more sensitive to stress? They're meant to be more sensitive to stress to realize, to figure out if the environment is one that they should bring a child into this world or not. Famine, war, like drought, all of these things are not a good time to be able to get pregnant. And so we see drop, we see a spike in cortisol. We see a drop in thyroid hormone that we've just spoken about, which regulates the metabolism and helps with fertility. And we see a drop in progesterone. So women's menstrual cycles are off. They're missing their period, especially with like really low carb diets. Or um, again, there's no wrong, there's nothing wrong with low carb for like three weeks, maybe four weeks, but we see women's hormones just start to plummet after the four to six week mark. And that includes fasting for too long, especially if you're fasting and working out first thing in the morning hard. I'm not talking about going for a walk. I'm not talking about like light cardio. I'm talking about like HIIT-based training, boot camps, first thing in the morning while fasted. It's a disaster for women's bodies and metabolisms. Yeah. And you see all this bro science out there telling you to, you know, just not eat, go super hard, lift heavy, and then don't eat until 2 p.m. I would be in a coma. You'd have to call a medic. Well, and that, that only lasts for so long when you are younger. And then unfortunately, it does catch up with you. Okay. So what I'm hearing is 12 hours is a wonderful baseline. And you know what? They didn't used to call that fasting guys. They just right. called like that was just, that was just what a day looks like. <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah. Six, six at night to six in the morning at the very least. That's just normal. You're, you go to bed by dark hours, nine to 10 at night or so we can get into the drops in cortisol and melatonin rising, all that. And then you woke up with the sun. Like it was like a few hours before bed, three to four hours before bed, you stop eating. That's normal. And then an hour or two after waking, you start eating again. And like that's that's just normal. That's a normal circadian rhythm and it works with the normal rhythms of the body. Dr. Cabral, I really want to give folks some sort of promo or discount or something to get them excited to go to your site. So can we get, share something with them in the show notes to showcase your at-home testing or your supplements or anything? Yeah, I always love people to start with you know, really the education and trying things out. That's what we try to do. We want to bring this to as many people as possible. So there is uh, two ways. The first one is my book, The Rain Barrel Effect. Uh, that's at stephencabral.com. And then we have the lab that you took, which is at stephencabral.com forward slash Ella, I believe. And that's going to be for their ability to be able to get this inflammation test completely free, just paying for shipping. And that's our goal is like we said, to bring at-home lab testing to the world. That's so cool. I didn't even know you were going to do that. A and B, that's way more than I would have asked for. That's fantastic. Yeah, we appreciate you having me on. And so uh, once again, thank you so much. Dr. Cabral, thank you so much. We are going to link to so, so many resources and notes in the show notes, you guys. I hope you check them out. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and all the links shared today at onairella.com. There's no with, it's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.